0: Well, in light of uh, everything that's going on, I'm grateful that we as a church can come together and pray um, together. I'm also thankful that we can um, have you guys join us online and continue to open our hearts and and open God's word um, so that God's word can really guide us and navigate us um, through this time. Uh, For today, I'm going to just really focus in on verses 12 through 15 of Colossians chapter 3. We are in the series and the letter to the Colossians. And and so we're going to look at Colossians 3, 12 through uh, 15 today. Um, I want to begin by sharing with you a story. A couple years ago around Christmas of uh, 2016 uh, when I was still living in L.A., my younger brother um, brought me this uh, Lakers jersey to me as a gift, and, uh, and I was so excited. I was thankful because I've never had a Lakers jersey before, and so I said, man, thank you so much, but, you know, I looked at it and I thought, isn't it kind of small and And he quickly reminded me that uh, the jersey was not for me, but it was actually for my son Benjamin, whom we were adopting uh, at the time. My son Benjamin was only 20 months old at the time, and he was in Korea. He was born in Korea. And we were about getting ready to go to Korea to pick him up. And so um, on Christmas Day, my wife and I, we as a family of two, uh, went to Korea uh, in 2016. And on January the first, 2017, we came back as a family of three. And uh, we were just so excited to have our son Benjamin with us. It was a long flight from Korea back to LA, uh, but as soon as we touched ground and, and got to LAX, uh, I I couldn't be more excited to put on the this Lakers jersey because I'm a huge Lakers fan, and and so is my wife. And um, and just as a welcome gift, we put this Lakers jersey on, uh, on him. And so this is kind of the, his first. Um, new clothes that he got to wear uh, as he stepped foot in the United States. And I share this story because of the significance of why we put that jersey on him. You know, it wasn't really about the fashion, though it looked pretty good on him, but it wasn't about that. It wasn't about how it looks or how it appeared. You see, we put that jersey on him because it was, it was uh, symbolic of his new home. It meant, uh, it meant his, his new life. It was symbolic of his uh, new family. And it was symbolic of where he now belonged. See, in our passage today, Paul exhorts the church in Colossae. And he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. See, what you wear isn't always about fashion. It's not always about what looks good. See, but what you wear actually says a lot about who you are. Right. If you think about um, people that play sports and athletes, when they put on a jersey, it represents who you play and, and wh- uh, who you play for and what you play. If you are in the military, you wear this uniform, and your uniform will tell you or represent who you serve. You know where you serve. Sometimes how long you served. It represents what you stand for. Right. If you are in um, the medical field, you're going to wear scrubs because it's just it's just who you are and what you do. See, what you put on identifies who you are. What you put on identifies who you are. And so in much the same way, um, this letter to the Colossians teaches that there is a new attire, a, a new wardrobe in a sense, a, a new set of clothing, garments that God has given us in Christ. And Paul is writing to the, this, this letter to the Colossians and saying, put off the old self and put on the new self. Right, These garments of grace that are compassion, it's kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He says put on forgiveness. He says put on above all, put on love, right? But before we, we get there and talk about um, each of those things, context is critical. It's very important for us to know what is the context of putting these things on. See, the answer is Just before verse 12, in Colossians 3, 11, there should be a slide on your screen. In Colossians 3, 11, it reads, In Christ, this is the uh, Christian Standard Bible, it says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all and so the context of this passage, the context of putting on the new self, is in the context of relationships. Paul will list these major divisions in the, in the church of Colossae and in the city of Colossae. He's saying there's Greeks and Jews. Instead of being one, there are two. He's saying there's, there's circumcised and there's uncircumcised. There's Scythians, there's barbarians, there's slave and free. These were groups that each of, them, each of these groups thought they were superior to one another. They, 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 instead of fighting and making effort for unity, they considered themselves better than the other group. Jews thought they were better than Greeks because they were the chosen people of God. They, they took pride in the Bible. They knew the Torah that they knew. The Greeks were, were prideful. And they felt superior because of all the education that they had. Right, and they looked down on the barbarians who couldn't speak the language. They looked down on Scythians who not only were uneducated, but they just saw them as people that didn't contribute to the society. They were kind of these nomadic people that would just kind of go and and take and receive and never give back. And so they were they were looked down upon. And so you have all of these separate groups, circumcised and uncircumcised. You know, the circumcised group thought they were superior and above the uh, the others because they thought, well, we're keeping the tradition, we're keeping the law. And so what you have is this incredibly polarized society. And how relevant this is for us today, right? 2,000 years later and things haven't really changed too much. There's all sorts of things that divide people. And it's in this context, Paul's writing this letter to to a people that were once Greeks and Jews and barbarians, Scythians, slave and free, all divided. And yet they come together as a church community. And in this context, Paul is saying, this is how you're going to get along. He's saying, this is how you now live. What Paul is saying is that God is not just making people new God is creating a new community in people. He, he's saying he's dividing, he, he's breaking down every dividing wall and he's saying that in Christ, and listen to me, he saying in Christ there is ethnic unity. He saying in Christ there is racial unity. He saying in Christ there is physical and spiritual unity. Because under the lordship of Christ, when Christ is the head, when Christ is Lord, he unites all that was divided. And all that was polarized, all that was segregated, all that was separated under the lordship of Christ. Not when we are the Lord, not when we're the head, but when Christ is the head. He brings all that is divided, bringing it together. He reconciles what was separated. He binds what was broken. He's saying that Jesus is the ultimate mediator. And I want you to know this, that Jesus is not just the mediator between man and God. He is the ultimate mediator between man to man. See, when you consider all that's going on in our country today, how relevant this passage is for us. And so by putting on these virtues, God is not just creating again a new people. He's, he's forming, shaping a new community. And May he do so in our country. May he do so in Chicago. And may he do so beginning with the church. Paul not only gives us the context in verse 11, but he gives us the motivation in verse 12. He goes on in verse 12. He says, put on then. He talks about all the division. He says, but in Christ we're one. So then, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's the motivation. He says, "You, you put on these new things because you are chosen, you are holy, and you're beloved. I want you to remember what those mean. Each one. Chosen. He's talking about the beauty of our adoption in Christ. I know just a little bit about adoption because I've gone through it myself. But I've, I've still yet to discover the weight and the glory and the majesty and the wonder of what it was like for a holy God to adopt me as his son. That should make us worship. That should draw us to our knees. That God chose me. He's talking about the beauty of our adoption in Christ. The thing about adoption is that you don't have to have that child. No one's forcing you. See, with adoption, you actually choose to have that child. You actually choose to commit yourself fully to that child. When my wife and I adopted Benjamin, we committed ourselves fully to Benjamin for the rest of our lives. We didn't have to have him. We chose to have him. That's what God did for us. He didn't have to have us. He didn't have to choose us, but he did anyways because of his love and his grace and his mercy. He saw the state that we we were in. And so he would send his one and only son, Christ, to come from heaven to earth, die on the cross, and rise again as a ransom, as payment, so that we can be adopted as his sons and daughters of God. Not only we were chosen, but we were also made holy in being chosen and adopted as his children, we were made holy. We were given the righteousness of Christ. Not ours, but his. We are forgiven. We are cleansed of all of our sin. He has set us apart for him. He, and now we belong to him. That word holy means that we are now set apart. We no longer belong to the ways of the world. We no longer seek what is earthly. We belong to God. We are the bride of Christ. And he says, "We are beloved. We are the beloved of God. You are the object of His love. You, you, no matter what, how you feel about that, no matter how you woke up this morning, you are the object and the object of His affection, the object of His love. Like a father who can't help but to lavish His love and kisses on His children. That's how God relates to us. That's how the Father relates to you. He says you're chosen." He says you're holy. He says you're beloved. Paul says the context is relationships, but the motivation is because of what God has done. So what he's saying is we now treat people in relationship to how God has treated us, not on how people treat us. He's saying now we don't operate in the way that we used to operate we we don't treat people based on how they treat us we treat people based on how christ has treated us you see when we received christ we also received his character you see when we received his grace we also received his garments When we came under the lordship of Christ, scripture teaches us that he has given us new clothing to wear in Christ, to be clothed with Christ. So for every believer, for every believer, there is a new attire that the Christian puts on reflecting who we have already become. Do you you guys see the order here that Paul is writing in? He's saying, put on then as God's chosen one, holy one, and beloved one. And he says, put on these things. The order is not, here's what you need to do. The order is, here's who you are, therefore here's what you do. He always talks about your identity before the activity. He always talks about what God has done on our behalf and who we've become before he gets into what we ought to do. This is, this is important. It's because you are new, you get to wear what's new. It's not the other way around. It's not as if if I just put on compassion, then I'll be a new person. Paul is saying, no, no, you have been chosen and already made holy and you're beloved because you are new. You can put on that which is new, right? For, for instance, athletes, you know, when they put on the jersey, they don't put on the jersey to become an athlete. They, they wear the jersey because they already are an athlete, Right? When you think about people in the military, they don't become an officer when they put on the uniform. They put on the uniform because they are already an officer. They're already military. Right? Uh, when it comes to a doctor or nurse, they, they don't wear scrubs to become a doctor or to become a nurse. They do it because they already are. See, I wear a wedding ring not to become a husband, but because I already am. Do you see the order here that Paul is writing and he's saying because you're chosen, you're holy, you know that you're beloved by God. says so that's why you could put these on. In other words, because you are new, you get to wear what is new. But the question that I have is then how did we become new? Like what did I do? And my answer is we didn't do much. There, there really isn't much that we did to become new. Here's what we did. He, we received Christ and All that he did. We received Christ and and God sent his spirit in us. We received Christ and his spirit now lives in us. I'm getting somewhere with this. What I'm trying to say is that in other words, you cannot put on what hasn't been first put in. You, You... You cannot put on what hasn't been first put in. So what we put on is because of what's already been put in. So that what you put on now reflects what's been put in. Do you guys hear me? So that what we put on is just a reflection of the one that's been put in. By the Holy Spirit. Now Christ lives not just with us. He now lives in us. And so we can put on because of Christ that has been put in. In Romans 13, 14, there should be a slide for you. It's, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, Paul is saying the same thing here in the church to the, to, uh, of Rome. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What well, Paul is saying to the church in Rome, he's saying to the church in Colossae, and he's saying to the church today. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on because he's already been put in. I want to take a few moments to look at what he's calling us to put on, these garments of grace. He lists a few things here. One is he says to put on compassionate hearts. And he's not saying, I want you to feel a certain way when you see people in hardship. But he's really getting to the, to the gut. He's saying this, this, this compassionate heart uh, is, is actually the literal word is merciful, merciful compassion. It's a heart that's full of mercy. In fact, in the King James Version, it actually says put on bowels of mercy. That's how it translates. Bowels of mercy, because the word literally refers to the stomach or the gut where much of our emotions can be felt when it's really like hitting us hard. You know, it's not just superficial, but it's really at a deep level of compassion where we can feel it in the gut. So when we see someone suffering, the question is, do we have compassion for people? Or are we more concerned about ourselves, right? Are we wanting for people to be free? wanting them to be restored. May we pray for compassionate hearts during this time. He says not only put on compassionate hearts, but he says put on kindness. This is actually the word goodness or generosity. He's referring to how God has been good to us and God has been generous to us. He's talking about the goodness of God and the generosity of God, the kindness of God uh, towards the sinner in which God desires the salvation of sinners. He doesn't desire death. He doesn't desire people to to die. He he desires for people to come to life. And so kindness is is one that seeks the goodness and the best of others. And so you live your life to do so, to bring goodness. The next is humility. Humility is this absence of pride. It's this absence of uh, self-exaltation where you put yourself above others, where you Consider yourself better than others. It's a disposition of lowliness, you know, in the sense of where, you know, not, not so much where you think, of, uh, think less worthy of yourself, but you consider others more worthy. We don't put others under us, but we, we put others above us, right? What I know about humble people is that humble people, um, they don't try to bring themselves up by putting other people down, what I know about humble people is that they don't escalate conflict. They don't puff themselves up. They don't let their ego run the show. They don't have anything to prove. I want to share with you a couple verses. One is Matthew 23, verse 12. You know, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And think about the position. He's saying, he's saying if, you, if you put yourself in a high place, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you put yourself in a lower place, then you will be exalted. And then it goes on in Philippians 2, 8 through 9. There's an example of Christ and it says, And being found in human form, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of, uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name and this example of Jesus and his humility is what Paul is getting at this is the pattern for every believer um, in in which we are to relate to people where we don't put people down in order to put ourselves up but we treat people the way Christ has treated us Paul goes on in this letter he says after humility talks about meekness This meekness is actually the same word as gentleness. Uh, When he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's the same word, meekness and gentleness. There's a book um, by Christopher Wright, not our Christopher Wright, but there's another Christopher Wright. In a book called Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, he said that gentleness is the ability to endure hostility without aggression. The ability to endure hostility without aggression. He's talking about a gentleness in which you can control your tongue, you can control your temper. A gentleness doesn't mean that we say nothing. It doesn't mean we stay silent. It doesn't mean we enable wrongdoing. It doesn't mean we stay tolerant. But a gentle response can also be strong and firm and clear and with conviction, but it doesn't have to be harsh. It doesn't have to be hostile. Another book called The Fruitful Life by Jerry Bridges. He says that gentleness is the intentional display of care to one's weakness. You know, it's when you put others at rest. And and by your gentleness, you put others at ease. Even in correction. Even in in bringing um, uh, someone who has done wrong and you want to correct them. It doesn't use force or intimidation. It's one that uses kindness. Gentleness. Jerry Bridges, in that book, he talks about this this ex-Marine who would often write letters to other people, and he'd always sign at the very bottom and write the same thing. He writes this. He writes, keep tough and tender, tough on yourself and tender towards others, tough on yourself and tender towards others. He says that's gentleness. See, often in our sin, what happens is we are tender towards ourselves, but we're tough on others. Amen by myself. I know that's true of me. That as soon as someone does wrong, we're so tough on them. We want to lash out. But as but when I'm the one who done the wrong, like it's easy just to let it go. To be tough on yourself, but tender towards others. And so when it comes to dealing with people and others, gentleness is this quality that actually helps people trust you. It helps people feel safe around you. It diffuses conflict. You know, I wrote down for myself that gentleness is submitting my power under the lordship of Christ so that we can put, um, so, we, so we can be under people as servants instead of over people as superior. It's to put yourself under people as servants of people, not over people as superior. Paul goes on and he says, put on patience. Put on patience. See, if gentleness is the ability to endure hostility without aggression, then patience, listen, is enduring hostility without anger. It's enduring hostility without anger. It's not talking about the absence of anger. Patience is talking about how long does it take you to break? How long do you endure? How long do you bear with people? Are you one that just breaks at an instant? Are you one that snaps at people? Or you one that can suffer long and bear with and endure even in the midst of feeling this righteous anger? Patience is, uh, in that Greek, it, it's actually a combination of two words. You know, one is makros, which means long, and then thymia, which means suffering. So when you have those two words together, it just means long suffering. The ability to wait sufficient time. Before it reaches anger, to not be short-tempered. You know, Paul is thinking about. He can't help but to think about God. I think he's thinking about how God is slow to anger. He knew this about God, that God was patient, and He's calling us to put that on. See, I I don't know about you, and you know, but I'm I'm really preaching this to myself. I know that for me, I'm not really good with all of these, especially when it comes to patience. I know that I could always use an extra cup of patience. You with me? Right, I, I, especially for me, like when I'm on the road, it comes out. When I'm on the road, uh, I'm telling you, I, I, like people in Chicago have noticed how I drive and they've called me the L.A. driver because my, my patience is not expressed on the road. I mean, I honk at people a lot. I I honk at people because they're not going fast enough because it turned green and they're they're not going when they should be. You know, they're looking at their phone. They're being distracted. And you're thinking, man, I do that too. Like, why is that so bad? I'm, I'm talking about honking from the passenger seat. I'm not even talking about when I'm driving. I'm talking about I'm so impatient that I don't even have the time to tell the driver to honk. I don't even have the time to say, hey, wife, friend, can you honk? Because they're like wasting her. I'm so impatient that I will stretch myself out and and tap on the horn and put myself over to the driver's seat and say, hey, let's go. Because I'm so impatient. Impatient. I hope I'm not the only one that does that. Maybe that's good if I'm the only one. But patience is this ability to be long-tempered, overcoming anger because it's impacted by grace, right? Someone that doesn't um, break when there's a, with every complaint or with every wrong against them. They're not easily offended, right? When people are on your nerves, when you are dealing with difficult people, you don't lash out. You're not hostile, but you're able to bear with them. You know, you walk with them. You remember how Christ was patient towards us. You remember how God is slow to anger towards us. And so you love them. You walk with them. And you're patient with them. That's what he's talking about. And as he goes on, he says, after being patient, he says, bear with one another. You know, if anyone has complained against another, you know, bear with them. He says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. You know, bear with them, endure with them, forgive them. And I know forgiveness is incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. It's not even attractive, right? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes or maybe most of the time when I've been wronged, and I'm convinced that I'm right and they're wrong, it's so much easier to seek some kind of revenge, to prove myself right. Forgiveness is not on the top of my list. You know, it feels more right to get back at them, right? We actually feel like by doing so, we'll actually make the wrong a right. We actually feel like, we we, we will actually feel better if we do so. But here's what Paul's saying, don't forgive them just in your own flesh. Think about how Christ has forgiven you. He's saying, forgive as the Lord forgave you, right? He's saying we have to remember that God who is holy, we who are sinful, he forgave us. The only reason why we can be chosen and holy and beloved is because he has forgiven us. Forgiveness is always motivated by how the Lord has forgave us. It's a call to forgive as Christ forgave us. Us. And how does Christ forgive us? How does, how does the Lord forgive us? Let me tell you how he does so. He does so instantly, constantly, freely, and permanently. His forgiveness is instant, constant, free, and permanent. In other words, when he forgives, he doesn't delay it. He doesn't make you wait for days and years. It's instant, instant. He doesn't stop forgiving us. He doesn't have conditions and he doesn't go back one day and wave our sins in front of us. His forgiveness is always instant, constant, free and permanent. Paul says that's the call for the Christian. It is a unique uniquely Christian message here. Cuz apart from Christ you don't have the ability. I don't have the I don't even know where to start with forgiveness until I know What it was like for Christ to forgive me. He goes on and says, above all, put on love. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You know, Paul is, you know, he has this theme in Colossians about continuing in Christ to full maturity. He wants these young Christians to mature, to grow, to become like Christ more and more, ever-increasing. And I want to tell you this, that maturity in Christ is not measured by how much you know or how much you experience. Maturity in Christ is measured by how much you love and who you love. There's a great British preacher by the name of Martin Laurie Jones. He says, one of the ways in which I show that I am filled with the Spirit is not so much that I go into ecstasies and manifest certain phenomena. But he says, it's the way I behave towards my wife at home. Above all, put on love. That's how you know you're growing in Christ. Paul says that this love is this, it's what binds everything in perfect harmony. In some translations, they call it that, that, that love is this perfect bond. And I don't think that he, he's talking just about the virtues. I don't think he's saying that love is what puts the, the compassion and the kindness and all together. There are some that think that. But I think what he's really getting at here is that love is what brings People together. Love is what brings Greeks and Jews together. Love is what brings circumcised and uncircumcised together. Love is what will bring slaves and free together. Love is what will bring blacks and whites together. Love is what brings red and blue together. Love is what brings people together. Love is what brings a church together. Love is that perfect bond. You know, when I think about perfect bond this past week as I was preparing, I thought about crazy glue crazy glue i don't know if you've ever worked with crazy glue but if you have you know why they call it crazy because it's crazy it it, i mean it sticks everything anything together i I know this because recently my son's been breaking a lot of things in the house because we're stuck at home and and so you know kind of my part-time job as a dad is just to glue things back together during the week And so he's bringing me toys and all this random stuff and paper airplanes and say, crazy glue. Daddy, can you glue this to me? And so I'm gluing it. It is crazy how these random things would stick together. And what Paul is saying is that's the love of God. That the love of God brings people together in perfect harmony. Right? And you've seen the news. We see what's going on in the world. We see what's going on in our country. We see what's going on in our city. And we live in such a polarized society. And I just want to remind us today that without love, there is no perfect bond. There are superficial bonds, but not a perfect bond. And this is important for us to live out because it's not about breaking rules. This is about breaking relationship. What's at stake when we don't put these on is that we break relationship. You don't have to look too far. Your, your marriage depends on it. Your spouse depends on it. Your kids depend on this, right? Our church depends on this. Our workplaces and your relationship with co-workers depend on this. Our city depends on this. Our country depends on this. Our church depends on this. So Paul is saying put to death all that is earthly and put sin to death, not people. Sin to death not people. The reason why people die is because people give life to sin. You got to hear me on that. Paul says, put to death what is earthly, sinful, not people. The reason why why people die is because people give life to sin. And so this is incredibly important for us. Paul ends and he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I just want to ask you a quick question. What's been ruling your heart? What's been navigating your heart this week? May it be the peace of Christ. He's not talking about a calm feeling. He's talking about the peace that was offered to us in Christ. The peace that allowed a holy God and a sinful man to walk together. Paul is saying the only bond, the only thing that will bring people of color, bring, bring them back together is the peace of Christ. Peace is the ultimate mediator. He's saying let that peace, him, himself, rule in our hearts for our day today. Let the peace of Christ sway and rule over every relationship with one another and so I want to close with this here's the application the application is that you and I we actually as people of God we actually go and we actually do these things we actually put these things on it, it should be how we feel and act towards one another Paul tells them put it on no, notice he's saying no one's going to do it for you he's saying you got to do it yourself you could put on because of what's already been put in Paul is rejecting this passive Christianity. He's calling us to an active, a decisive, godly life. It requires an act of our will. Put it on. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Patience. Forgiveness. And love. I want to close by asking you these three questions. These are one of those messages that you can't just listen to. Here's the application I want you to go home this week or maybe just continue stay home this week. And this is one of those passages where you ought to bookmark. And this week, go back to it. and, And go back to it, perhaps even on your knees. And ask before God. Ask yourself these three questions. Number one, where is my head and where is my heart? In other words, am I seeking what is earthly or am I seeking what is heavenly? Number two, ask Where am I in relationship to God? Do you remember that you were chosen and holy and beloved? Do you remember that you were forgiven by God? Do you remember that you are the object of his love and his affection? Last but not least, you ought to ask, where am I in relationship to people? As you consider people in your life, you got to think about how are those relationships going? Have I put on the new self as I relate to them? Or or in some ways, have I kept my old self on because it's more comfortable? Have I caused some harm to other people by not putting on this new self? In what ways is God prompting you to be clothed with Christ in relationship to others? And as I close, and as you enter this week, with those questions, my prayer for you is Colossians three seventeen, where Paul says that whatever you do in word or deed, that you would do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.